Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. You've been hearing ads for Zencaster these past months. Interested in sponsoring this show or podcast ads for your business? Go to zen.ai forward slash the archaeology show and fill out the contact information so Zencaster can help you bring your business story to life. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. This is the CRM Archaeology Podcast. It's the show where we pull back the veil of cultural resources management, archaeology, and discuss the issues that everyone is concerned about. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode 238 for May 4th, 2022. I'm your host, Chris Webster. On today's show, we talk about disaster preparedness in the field. So may the 4th be with you and the CRM Archaeology Podcast starts right now. Welcome to the show, everyone. Joining me today is Bill in... Well, Northern California, the Bay yep, Area. I'm here. I'm with you. Good morning. <laughs> Heather in what I'm calling Southern California. Central California, but Come that's on. fine. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning. Or hello, everyone. Thanks for joining. And then Andrew, I don't know. I think he's a little further south. So I'm going to go ahead and go say Southern California for that one. Yeah. Get it right. Proudly representing SoCal. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. All right. So for today's episode, at least the first part here, uh, we may go the full time on this. I don't know. But we got a comment from a listener a few months ago. And we're just I, I, I dropped it in as our as we're cycling through the topics as the hosts go every five episode recordings or so, which is like two and a half months. It comes back around to me, which is great. So I dropped this one in for my topic because I also thought being the end of April as we're recording this, probably getting into early May as you're listening to this. We're getting into springtime. We are getting into summertime in some places, and we are definitely getting into inclement weather time. And depending on where you're at, if you're working in the in the southeast or uh, east coast, you're starting to talk about hurricanes here in another couple months. In the Midwest, you're starting to talk about tornadoes already because I don't think you ever stopped talking about tornadoes. It's been a crazy year. It's just been continuously going, uh, which is crazy, but they're just start ramping up. And then, of course, on the West Coast, you've got to worry about fires, wildfires. I mean, we're often out in like super remote places and you may not even know the wildfire is sparked off. And before it's too late, it could cut off your escape route for wherever you're at. The wildfire could. So before we get into that, though, let me go ahead and read this email from a listener. And and I didn't get their permission to. Uh, I didn't ask either, but <laughs> I didn't get their permission to do this. So I'm just going to leave the listener's name out of it. Here's what they have to say. I know you've had conversations in the past about disaster preparedness. Not sure that we have. Maybe we have. I don't know. But I'm curious about what other CRM firms' tornado plans are. I'm a field tech in Kentucky, and one of the places I work at over the summer was hit hard by the tornado this last weekend. So again, this was months ago. This got me thinking about what field crews should be thinking about in terms of safety, post-disaster communication plans, when cell towers go down, meeting points, etc., 
I've never had a meeting that discussed this kind of stuff. And my only safety knowledge comes from growing up in rural North Dakota. And that's, that's the, that's the email. So I'll tell you, I've been in North Dakota, I've been in rural North Dakota and it is, uh, yeah, that is a good place to learn about safety because you're going to have blizzards. You're going to have all kinds of crazy weather coming your way and it's good to, good to know what's going on. But let's talk about this. I'm in the civil air patrol, which has uh, helped me greatly. I was in the Navy as well, which also helped, but I'll tell you what, I want to start small with this. Okay. First off, when you're talking about any of these things, teams need to stick together. And if they can't stick together because of logistics, they need to know where each other is at at all times. And if you need to do that through constant radio communication updates, or if you need to do that through some sort of... There are several different devices out there that will constantly report your position to a satellite, which others can read, right? And then you can know where everybody's at. The Garmin Rhinos will do that, actually. Um, They don't do it through satellite. They do it through communication. So it's a radio GPS receiver, and it will pick up other Rhinos and report position through the radio communication. So you know where the other people are on uh, on your screen. You can see them. So that's pretty handy. But just knowing where everybody's at and knowing where those things are, really helps out. And and just mentioned briefly the Civil Air Patrol, when we're out on a ground mission, which means you're in a vehicle or you're in an air mission, which means obviously you're in a plane, aircraft report back to base at the top and bottom of the hour and ground vehicles report back to base at 15 and 45 after the hour. And they all do it. And if if one unit does not report in after several attempts to get contact with them, even by other aircraft and other ground personnel, the search stops and now starts looking for them. And that's why you always report your position, your time, your direction, where you're going. Now, I'm not saying we need to do that in archaeology necessarily, but if it's been, you know, a few hours or uh, I don't even know what the time frame would be, depending where you're at, you need to be in contact with each other first off. And that's number one for safety. Heather, I see you're chomping at the bit here. (laughs) No, I, I, I love that. We have a safety department, like that's all Mm -hmm. they do. And so we have them put, together a job hazard analysis, a JHA, uh, for every project. And, you know, that's evolved over time. It used to be before we had a safety or we just had one person or, and we do generally create our own JHA, but if we're in a new area, we reach out to the safety team to create and really think about everything that could happen. And Mm -hmm. so we do do work outside of California. We do it all over the United States. And so they, they've been pretty busy putting together these preparedness plans or safety job hazard analysis plans. And it runs the full gamut of everything that could happen. And then over time, the, you know, the, depending on the time of year, we switch it up. We switch certain things up that are going to be, you know, like right now, this is prime rattlesnake season, right? Yeah. So I grew up in tornado land, <laughs> grew up in, <laughs> outside of Chicago. And, yeah. you know, we were always taught that was one of the, instead of fire drills, actually, we had tornado drills um, mm-hmm. every month. And so, especially during tornado season. And it was kind of fun because we get to, during certain, you know, drills, you could do fun things and, and you don't have to go to class, right? But <laughs> <laughs> I think that if your company is so is small, because I know there's a lot of small companies and they don't think about these things at all. So you kind of have to bring that upon yourself as a prepared field technician. Should your company do it? Absolutely, they should. But when you're sitting in the middle of a dangerous situation and 
the last thing you want to say is, well, my company didn't give me what I needed, all the tools I needed to be safe here. So, oh, well, mm-hmm. you know, I, again, I think every company should do that. It doesn't take a whole lot. I mean, you, we have these boilerplates for different types of situations that are put into the JHA or taken out depending on the conditions of the project or, you know, the area that you're in and the time of year. So I'll just say right now, what I've always been taught, if you are outside during a tornado, obviously you want to find shelter if you can. And if you can't find shelter, then you find a ravine, a very low lying area underneath a bridge, and then you cover your head and do the best you can. So that that's all I'll say just from my experience. But my grandfather actually was ended up in a in a car in a tornado and, and and the tornado went right over him and he went into Man. a ditch and, but they do say, if you can't find shelter, that's the best thing. And it, if there's no lo- low lying area, you can't find it right off the bat. And, and you're seriously in the, in the midst of it, just get down flat as flat as you can possibly be. And if you have anything soft to put over you and then protect your head and, and that's how you get through it. But wow. anyway, I've talked long enough. <laughs> Andrew. The, uh, yeah, sure. I, you know, I talk with this, uh, this kind of thing about with my students all the time. And first I would say archaeology is not worth dying for. So, and Amen. yeah, where I know it sounds silly, but like if you're in an area where there's tornadoes and you see a big tornado coming, but you're like, but you know, we got to be in the field today. No, you don't. And and this is this is how some of the worst disasters happen, right? It's a it's a series of bad choices, right? Don't be afraid to make the right choice in in a bad in in those bad moments. It, that little voice inside is it will tell you this is dangerous. Listen <laughs> to the little voice, you know. Don't go out. I have done this time and time again, like some in the CRM world, but also in obviously my, my other archeology span realm in the Maya jungles, right. In Belize, like you, you have to listen to that little voice, you know, it's dangerous. Leave. I would, I would also say identify the real uh, dangers because sometimes you get this list of dangers in an area, you know, Oh, it could be this and it could be this and it could be this. And some of those like, like, let's take the jungle. Oh, you know, there's Jaguars. You're not going to be mauled by a jaguar, <laughs> you know, but killer bees are a real thing, you tick know, bombs. so tick, you have, what was that, Heather? Sorry. Tick bombs. Well, yes. And like <laughs> tick bombs and, you know, which, yeah. which can become a real thing. So I would say prep for the, you know, for the real dangers that, mm-hmm. that may be out there kind of on a list. And then uh, the last thing on this bit, Heather brought up rattlesnakes. I was out with my students like two weeks ago. And I could just smell the rattlesnakes. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. You get out that day. And when we got out there in the morning, we were going to be hiking out in the boonies. And I'm like, oh, man, rattlesnake season. So I stopped everyone. I'm like, hey, guys, what are we going to do if I get bitten by a rattlesnake? You know, and then we role played it. And of course, their first response was, Kinkella, we're leaving you and we're running away. You know, <laughs> but but the role play was great. I'm like, no, 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 no. What? OK, OK. I get bitten by a rattlesnake. What are we doing? Let's go through it. And I had them, you know, give a couple responses. And I'm like, look, first and foremost, we call 911 right away. You call 911 right away. (laughs) And then we figure out how to get me 
back to the road as soon as possible because time's yeah. not your friend. We're not going to wrap the wounds. We're not going to look for the snake, you know, and we we just role played it. And this wasn't a long thing. It's like three minutes. But right. then you you feel really good about, OK, if this did happen, we would just snap right into it. Mm-hmm. Right. I think so. So, did you ask who was going to suck the venom out of it? <laughs> they, they strangely uh-huh. stepped away. I don't know. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm shocked. Uh-huh. I think yeah. that, um, yeah, I, the one thing that you can do for yourself is absolutely check the weather ahead of time. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. usually you can see, especially with tornado weather, I mean, that's, they don't just pop out of nothing. Sometimes they do, mm-hmm. but not usually. Usually you can see it. You can feel it. You can smell it, just like mm-hmm. Andrew said. I mean, although if you're working, you know, people right now, they're they're working all over the place. They're traveling all over the place to work. And so they may not be all that familiar with something like a tornado. Sounds like that's the the person that, that sent this question in. And so mm-hmm. it's very new to them. And do your own homework. I mean, if you're going into an area... Part of the preparedness is doing your own homework. You can't rely on other people. Even if you have the best safety managers, you have to take personal responsibility over your own safety. And so be prepared. And being prepared is like doing it the day before or, you know, even maybe a few days before if you know you're going into a different area. So yeah, it looks like Bill has something to say. Yeah, I do. I mean, be prepared is definitely, you know, a key thing. And then, you know, we have talked before about health and safety plans throughout the organization and stuff. And, you know, I work at a place that has a great health and safety plan, but not very many people are actually using it. <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, so if you're if you're not even aware that there's the possibility of danger, I think that's where we end up in a lot of situations because, you know, I was hearing you all talk about situations in the field and role playing and, and thinking of all those things. But I can tell you and you all know that when you go out in the field, most people are not even thinking that there's a possibility that anything could happen. And so you see them carry themselves as if there's no form of danger, right? Like gray clouds on the horizon and you're in the southern Arizona desert during the summer. They're not even thinking about the fact that it could flash flood in those washes that are on the whole other side of a mountain range. And then you're trapped in the vehicle, right? So they're not even aware that that's a possibility or uh, thunderstorms and stuff. And you're walking underneath power lines. You're like, people aren't even really thinking about the fact that those things could easily spark. They could easily send off sparks and you know other stuff that would connect to you even if it's not a lightning thing because the air is just charged that way and so going back to the tornadoes thing if you're doing a survey in tornado area and you know i old timer one time told me in illinois that if i see the clouds turn green underneath that i should you know really start looking for some kind of safety and i was like well i've never seen the clouds turn green and he goes that's because you've never seen a tornado coming (laughs) Uh, and so his thing was figure out where the root cellar or the basement that you're going to hide in and and go there but what if you're surveying right like what if you're driving from parcel to parcel and you're caught out in the middle of the road right so if people aren't really thinking about the potential for hazards then it's really difficult for them to, you know, be prepared or or to mitigate that stuff. And then the other thing is if the company is just like relentless, right? So if it has a chance to snow and people could get wet and cold out there, but like they just refuse to let folks stay at the hotel to see, to watch the weather and see if it's going to snow and then crews get out there. And not only is it snowing, everybody's wet, everybody's cold. People are starting to get sick and everything. And you can't see the ground. 
but everybody's afraid that if they if they go back to the place, the boss is going to yell at them and fire the whole team. I mean, that's another huge thing too. If it looks like there's going to be tornadoes, and they're just saying like, "You need to get out there. I don't care. Risk it. Whatever. Just keep working." And you don't have the space to actually say, no, you know, I'm going to use my judgment here. The clouds are turning green. I can see funnel clouds. We're going back to the hotel. And if you're worried about, you know, getting fired because you decided not to go out into a disaster, that's also a very real thing. Archaeology is not worth dying for. <laughs> yeah, I've heard mantra. <laughs> yeah I've, I've heard that before and then i've heard pis back at the base be like it's only 125 degrees out what are you oh, talking yeah. about what do you mean heat stroke like what's yeah. that back in the oh, 70s well, i had heat stroke and i walked across like radioactive desert totally and about heat stroke and you can look at their eyes are kind of like dazed and crazy and now yeah. they're cross-eyed back you know, in the 70s and you're like yeah well that was the 70s dude right because it's leather yeah. The yeah. one, the one no, thing yeah. to start with is OSHA. I mean, people should, there's clear, clear direction in OSHA. There's clear direction when you can and cannot have people working outside in the heat, mm-hmm. heat indexes, humidity. There's clear direction there. I mean, if you don't have, I've been very fortunate to work on some longstanding projects where we had people that were monitoring the humidity and the heat and it made people stop and they were very, very safety conscious. But, you know, you guys, not you guys, but in general, I can't (laughs) say it enough. You have your own personal responsibility to keep yourself safe. And that means reading OSHA, knowing, knowing what your rights are and knowing what OSHA is not just like these arbitrary rules. They're there for a reason. They're there because we understand more about safety now than we did not in the 1970s, or we're more conscious about it now than we were in the 1970s. And so there's these rules there. And if you know what those rules are, those are a really good parameter for you to start with. And then the other thing, I mean, I would say for CRM managers, when there are people out in the field, unless I have somebody who's like a crew supervisor who's really, really strong. I, I go out with the crew and I work in my truck and I'm there that, that way there's no question. If people are not quite sure what to do, I'm there to make sure that they're safe and that they're not taking any, any risks and that they don't have to make that decision. The decision's off, off of them. But I do know that not not everybody's like that. And there Mm. are a lot of PIs out there that don't consider, I'd say a lot. I think they're getting Indeed. fewer and fewer. I don't know about that, but I, I agree with you, Heather. It's great that you're out there and telling folks, you know, how to stay safe. But at the end of the day, people have to eat and people are afraid of losing their jobs. And uh, almost every almost every accident I've seen in the field has been someone just trying to push through so that they can right. feed feed themselves. That's why I'm there. And that, what I'm saying yeah. is that other managers should do the same thing. Like there could be people out there, just like you're saying, Bill, they could make those kinds of decisions where when they get back and they're injured and I'm thinking, or they're not injured. And I found out they took a chance and I'm like, why did you do that? And they look at me because it's not because of me, it's because of who they've worked for before. And they have their condition now to push themselves beyond where they should. And so that's why for me, I like to go out there as much as I can so that I can take that off of them. They don't have to make that decision. It's my decision. Say, okay, enough. Okay. Well, let's take a break and stay safe while you listen to these affiliates and sponsors. Go click on them. Back in a minute. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, 
Just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Looking to expand your knowledge of x-rays and imaging in the archaeology field? Then check out an introduction to paleoradiography, a short online course offering professional training for archaeologists and affiliated disciplines. Created by archaeologist, radiographer, and lecturer James Elliott, the content of this course is based upon his research and teaching experience in higher education. It is approved by the Register of Professional Archaeologists and the Chartered Institute for Archaeologists as four hours of training. So don't miss out on this exciting opportunity for professional and personal development. For more information on and course structure, visit paleoimaging.com. That's P-A-L-E-O imaging.com and check out the link in the show notes. Chris Webster here from the APM. You've heard me talk about Zencaster for a few months now, and there's never been a better time to check this out and start a podcast. Zencaster has hosting tools and both audio and video podcasting capability. Many of you have already clicked on the link in the show notes, and we thank you for that. Use the code CRMARC, that's C-R-M-A-R-C-H, at the link in the show notes, or go to Zencaster.com and use the code. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R.com to get 30% off your first three months. Again, use the code CRMARC for 30% off your first three months at Zencaster.com. Welcome back to the CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode 238. And we're talking about disaster preparedness. And when you're in the field and disaster strikes, what do you do? Or better yet, what do you do to prevent being in the field when disaster strikes? Something you guys were just talking about at the end of the last segment about making that call while you're in the field. It really made me think about scenarios that happen in Nevada a lot, especially in the wintertime when, uh, or wintertime or maybe even springtime when it could be rainy and stuff. Because, you know, you don't go outside when it's raining partly because just the ground is too disgusting and you'll just get stuck in the truck. Uh, I mean, you just, I mean, you can walk in it for sure, but you'll just, the truck will get stuck because we're always off the road on some, you know, BLM road. And, and not only that, but we're not allowed to like gouge up the roads either, you know, civilians do, but people who are working out there on BLM and forest service property, they actually frown pretty heavily upon that. So not only that, but it's not safe. That being said, in Nevada, what they say is there are more unnamed mountain ranges in Nevada than anywhere else in the country. And if you look at the state, it is just vertical, like north-south trending mountain range after mountain range after mountain range after mountain range. And we're not talking hills here. We're talking mountain ranges. And there could be you, you, you could be sitting in a hotel in Winnemucca, Nevada, and it could be raining and mixed rain and snow right there at your hotel when you wake up in the morning and just coming down in buckets. You look at the radar and it looks like it could be all over the place. But your work site is an hour away and you have to make that call. Is it raining at the work site? Because it might not be. There's different ecosystems, little little things that are happening from range to range to range. And it could be blocked in one area. You could have a, a nice, dry, sunny day out in your project area. But then, and I've seen so many people make this call because of that logic, not thinking about the hazards that are getting there and, and getting back after you get all the way out there and realize, yeah, it is actually disgusting out here. Let's turn around and go home. It, it sometimes people feel like they have to go out in the field. They have to go out and check that site before they come back. Otherwise, they're going to, like Bill said, get in trouble, lose their jobs, you know, for not going out. So I just made me think about that. Bill, looks like you got a comment on that. 
Yeah, and I I totally hear you because Arizona's a lot of the time it's the same way. You know, each yeah. place has their own hazards, right? Like working on the coast in Washington State, the tide. Oh yeah, you can't dig shovel probes if the tide's coming in. So you got to pay attention to that. And sometimes you look at your day and you're shaking your head like this is senseless. We're not going to be able to dig a shovel probe down because the tide's going to come in and it's all mm-hmm. just going to be muck and slime anyway. And I won't be able to actually see any dirt. So I guess, you know, eight hours of our day is just going to be like waterlogged or every probe's only like 30 centimeters deep when they need to be like two meters. Yeah. So, you know, that's always the thing. And then in Arizona, just like you, you know, I was mentioning, it could be raining on one side and you look over there and see a mountain and you need to be paying attention to like, where are those clouds at? And are there washes that are aiming towards you? Because you could turn around and try to drive back on a road. And the next thing you know, it's like a small river. And there's all mm-hmm. this water there. And so then you got to try to figure out, you know, what are you going to do? And sometimes it's just, you know, you're going to hurry up and take some GPS points so you can come back to that location, cross that wash, go to another part of the project area. And then maybe we have to backtrack the next day and go there and finish what we were doing because it was too dangerous to stay out there. Yeah. And so, you know, that's that's always a thing. But I, the the weather things that we can face out there now, I feel like they seem like they're you know, more extreme. It's getting and worse. So, you know, yeah. yeah, the the climate's getting worse. Like 15 years ago when we were leading crews out there, yeah, you know, we could pay attention to the clouds and watch the weather and, you know, make these attempts and stuff like that. But now it just seems like it's like kind of out of control. So mm-hmm. I'm wondering what young folks are doing now that are just starting out here with these even more unpredictable weather conditions. You know, how are they making it through? Because the, the playbook that we used it might not actually be a thing anymore. I, I would just really agree with Bill. And I am curious about sort of the younger generation stuff in terms of the roads leading in and out. It's like, this isn't time just to watch your GPS, guys. You know, like, especially when I'm thinking in Southern California, like in of fires, we were very, very conscious the last couple of times around out at the site here about fires. During the semester, there was a big fire that came through. So we had to think of all this like alternate ways of getting out of the site if one one way was blocked we actually did get blocked one time not by a fire but by something else but having you know how many roads out how many dirt roads out how many paved Mm -hmm. roads out how many choices do you have to get out of there how much time is it going to take you know all those kind of things and i do worry sometimes about people of my students age not thinking like that just thinking like Mm -hmm. oh i'll just watch my gps and it'll reroute It's like, no, 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 no. You know, uh, are those roads washed out in the other examples? You know, I think this stuff is is really, really important. You know, so I'm sound like a record record. I really think that a lot of onus responsibility needs to lie in the manager and on the company to make Mm -hmm. sure that the people in the field have the technology that they need. Number one, you should have whatever your navigation system should be based on satellites. You shouldn't be using whatever Google Earth or, you know, or... I mean, have collector, Avenza, those, those, that technology that you have that's doesn't require the internet. Um, but you mean Waze doesn't work in the Mojave? Come on. Yeah, right. <laughs> I will say, you know, it, I think I told this story a long time ago. I'm not going to go into the story, but we were working out, the crew and I were working out in the back country of Santa Barbara, in the Santa Barbara County. And it was an area that had been, Uh, ravaged with the uh, mudslide a few months earlier and we got stuck in a ridge line and had to take a road and that road was an old SCE or Southern California Edison road that road had not been maintained because 
the road relied on a like a small being able to go over a creek that had mm-hmm. been washed out by the mudslide. So they SCE wasn't using the road. We didn't know. And even though we had pretty up to date aerials, that's one thing is being able to know the area and know if any major disasters that would change the terrain have gone through that area, like the mudslide. So we didn't know that that then and the aerial didn't show that that road was washed out. And because of that, SCE had not maintained the road. And because of that, now we had all this talus or all this rock that was on this very small, narrow road. And in the end, we ended up, thank God, we, you know, it wasn't any worse, but we flipped the truck and came hmm. very seriously, dangerously close to going over a 300 foot ravine. I mean, we're right on the side of a mountain with a very narrow, maybe 15 foot road access yeah. road. And we flipped the truck. And we need to link to you telling this story because we have this on this on another yeah. episode. We were talking about dangers in the field or something. And man, yeah. that is one hell of a story. <laughs> so, a joke. That was that's a good example of even you think you have all the tools at your disposal and something can happen. And I don't yeah. really think there's anything we could have done to avoid, except I was used to driving in weird situations. If we, the person that was with me said, if I had been driving, I don't know if I would have been able to react and get us to a point where we flipped the truck rather than went over the ravine. And so, you know, having people that are properly trained in driving off road, you can't just throw people in a truck and expect them to drive off road. I mean, you really have to have a, a knowledge of how to do that. And the other thing that I would like to say as far as the onus or responsibilities on the manager, one aspect of, you know, taking that pressure off of people thinking, I'm not going to make money today if we have to go back to the hotel or, or whatnot, is the manager always having alternative work. You should mm-hmm. always have work that can be done in the rooms and have that ready to go. There's plenty, especially now, there's plenty of work. Now that takes some preparedness, but you should always have work that you can keep people busy so that they know that they're not going to be losing out on money because then that when you have desperation, that's when you make silly, silly decisions. Totally. Yeah, I, uh, I would, I always think of it as the B site. It's like, okay, the A site, like Bill's point earlier about dude, it's all waterlogged. We've all been in situations similar, you know, it's like, but is there a B site, you know, farther up the hill or whatever that, Oh, right. you were going to get to at some point, like just go there, right. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, the whole roads thing, right. Like everybody's saying here, ro- just because they exist on the map doesn't mean they're actually <laughs> on the planet Earth. <laughs> and and yep. show them to a talus slope or a washout wow. or something like that. Like, yep. you know, and, and you know, it's that's always going to happen when you have zero cell coverage and you're 90 minutes away from the nearest freeway, totally. right? So what are we going to do? Are we going to calculate, you know, how long will it take for us to walk to this APE? If that's actually feasible, how long will it take for us to run to this APA? Oh, well, I guess that's not really feasible. Okay, well, perhaps we have to just go to another place or try to find some other kind of way to get in there. You know, is there another road that's close that we can hump it up, you know, a quarter of a mile rather than having to walk four miles? I mean, that Mm -hmm. that also is where paying attention to your maps and looking at, you know, topography, that stuff all comes in really huge. But that takes the responsibility of the manager or the crew supervisor. They're the ones that should be setting this thing, this up all ahead of time. You should be looking at plan A, plan B, plan C, plan T, so that if something does happen, you're giving the crew in the field every option. You know, 
one project I was on in one of the last companies I ever worked for uh, before I started my own company, I was given this relatively good sized project. It was, uh, I don't know, two or 3,000 acres out in central Nevada in an area I had never been before. None of the people had ever really worked in this area before. There was lots of old mining activity. Just looking at the aerials and the and the topo maps, there were roads all over the place. And in order to do a more efficient survey and figure out access, I made the call to go out with another one of my colleagues. And we spent a week before the project. And I was actually kind of taking a task with this saying, why aren't you just surveying at the same time? And, and you know, you're out there, you should have field crews out there. And I was like, because I think this is going to ultimately save us time on this like three month yep. survey project. And we yep. just drove every single road and got them on the trimbles. And then we had yep. symbology for the quality of road that it was and, right. you know, how drivable it was. And I'll tell you what, it was a huge time saver to have that because we had a good, solid working knowledge, me and the other crew chief, of what the roads look like in this massive, crazy networked area that was just insane. And and everybody had those layers on their GPSs as well, on their trimbles. So right. it was uh, it was valuable to have that. We did we did the exact same thing in Belize. We did the exact we we drove the yeah. roads, we mapped them in first. It saved so much time. There's actually yeah a term for that. It's a haphazard survey, which is a real thing, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you know, the other, uh, I'll add one layer. We just, I just did one on Thursday, actually. We're working with the fire department out here doing vegeta- vegetation management program. And we went with them because when you're going in, especially in a mountainous area, actually anywhere, really, uh, unless you're on like clear BLM land, you're going to be crossing private land all the time. Access roads go into private land in order to get to where, where you're trying to go. And so going out with the client right off the bat, if you can, and if they have an understanding and understanding mm-hmm. all the access points, because you know, what slows you down is when you come across <laughs> you know, a gate that's locked that you didn't know about and the client didn't know about. And so, you know, we're lucky, you know, working with the fire department, obviously they know because they have to have that access all the time, but we do other projects and driving with the client, we built it into the budget. It's app. It's so valuable to, to do Hmm. that because the last thing, you know, the, the one thing and always checking every gate because ranchers, especially out here, they tend to change their locks a lot or yeah. they change somebody cuts the lock and then they have to replace it and so or somebody you know, somebody puts one of the nine locks on there wrong and nobody can get the lock off <laughs> right yes i mean there's so yeah. many and you know i think it also you know it, let's say a man or uh, i don't have time for that or i don't have budget for that it's a really good uh, a marketing opportunity because when you're sitting in a truck and you spend half a day with the client i mean that's like when do you get a chance to spend half a day with a client in a truck where you're driving yeah. around? I mean, it's, it's invaluable for marketing. Uh, it's usually unless, only at gunpoint. Yeah. Unless you're kind of a jerk, <laughs> then yeah. you can't, you're not able to relate to the client, but if you're, you know, an amiable person, it's, it's like a perfect opportunity to be able to get to know them on a personal level. So I think like people are short-sighted when they don't do that kind of thing. That's what I, uh, I was going to mention, the gunpoint thing, right? Because that's also <laughs> the reality of trespassing and being out on p- private property, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So right. We, we've mentioned this a couple of times, and this is definitely could be probably the biggest disaster ever is when you get, you know, held up at gunpoint or when people are out there just shooting willy nilly and you're on the other side of a hill and they're just like mm-hmm. blazing away and you're surveying within, you know, 
firing range basically of a ricochet. I mean, the whole like, you know, being stuck up, being, you know, held at gunpoint is not a thing that I've ever seen any kind of health and safety, anything, but having guns brandished and and aimed at you out there in the field is a thing I've experienced more than one time. So I don't know what other folks want to say about that as a, Mm -hmm. you know, what are the protocols for that of getting stuck up out there in the field because you're, you know, supposedly trespassing. It happened to me twice. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that the more official, uh, I hate wearing the high visibility stuff, but the more official you look, the better. Always carry cards with you and have a one point person that when you're there, first of all, nobody should be going out alone. I still see it, unfortunately, but nobody should be going out alone, but have one person ahead of time that has been determined that they feel comfortable that they're the ones who are going to be the point person to talk to the person who has the gun on them. So I haven't, I've, I have had once I've had a shot, but it was a gun range and people didn't realize we were there. And, and, and the PM for that project specifically who, who just sits at the desk and doesn't go out in the field had not even thought about the fact there was a gun range there. And, and hadn't told anyone. So I think, you know, thankfully I haven't been in that position, but I would say those things, making sure that you look as official as possible and that you have somebody who is going to have the wherewithal to talk fast <laughs> and explain yeah. why you're there. Yeah. And I would just say, and I'm not joking. It's like, move slow, you know, talk calm. (laughs) Hey, we're just the archeology span crew. Oh, I guess I made a wrong turn, you know, like, uh, and it usually works, but again, archeology span not worth dying for. Yeah. And also I think the high vis vest a lot of times and you wearing a, you know, local utilities jacket is like the reason why they're pulling their gun out. Sometimes. Yeah. True. But I think more often than not, not not having like we have a survey that is going to be a Montecito <laughs> and you have paparazzi there all the time. Right. So we wear it. And then if they see the high visibility, they're they're more apt to think that you're not paparazzi. Right. But so if those that are listening that are not from this area, Montecito is where a lot of you know celebrities live. And, Oprah. and so <laughs> Oprah, Ellen, I mean, I could list them all off. The Prince, Prince Harry. And so just making sure that you know your area, you know, high visibility in some areas is going to be a good thing. And in other areas, like Bill said, maybe not so much. Yeah. All right. Well, just to take this out, I want to make one more comment on meeting people in the field, whether on purpose or accidentally at gunpoint. Make sure your field crews, if you're not like one small crew and and you're the field director or you're the project manager out there, but you've got multiple crews out there, make sure they all have a business card from the company, a stack of them that they can hand over. Because I don't know how many times I've been a crew chief with with crew or I've just been on a crew and none of us work full time for the company. We're just out there as temporary hires and we have zero credentials at all. (laughs) And we're just like, yeah, I don't know. The guy's over there. I can call him and have him come over here, but just have, have the paper work, have the, have the fieldwork authorization, have whatever you need in every single crew's hands. So you can hand this to the person because these people out in these rural areas, and I'm more speaking of like Nevada and rural California and stuff like that. They are very 
legal conscious, my land, my rights, uh, this is all my stuff and you get off. And if you can show them government documents that say you're allowed to be there, official documents from your company that say you're allowed to be there, they're, they're more likely to, you know, unruffle their feathers just a little bit. So, yeah, you know, I I just want to go add quickly on on top of that, that I, I think the business card thing is so important. And I've experienced several CRM firms that were super reticent to give us business cards. And I really (laughs) pushed for the exact safety reason. I'm like, no, 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 this is a safety thing. It made me really mad. It just, we create, we have business cards. It doesn't have to be for that one specific person. You just have a business card that is just a general business card without that person's name on it. Sure. I mean, that Everybody that's enough, right? Then yes. you don't have to worry about having a thousand business cards for one person who's yes. as needed. Yeah, but it's still, a business card for the company. crazy and make some business cards for every person. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I mean, it's you, worth yeah, it. Not that expensive. Yeah, yeah. it's not. Yeah. All right. With that, let's take one more break. Listen to these words from our sponsors and affiliates. Please try to click on them. They're doing great things for us and could for you as well. Back in a minute. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Want to keep this conversation going? Want to talk to the hosts of this show and other fans? Then join our membership program and get exclusive access to the hosts, other fans, and early access to these episodes and bonus segments and content. You'll also get forever access to our live show back catalog and any other shows ad-free. Head over to arcpodnet.com slash members for details. That's arcpodnet.com slash members. Welcome back to the final segment of the Sierra Archaeology Podcast, episode 238. And we are talking about disaster preparedness. And we're going to bring this back to weather disasters as we started with in the first segment. Because uh, I want to talk about some some tools that you can use. We've talked about what could go wrong. And we've talked about paying attention to those things that could go wrong. But I want to talk about how you can be a little bit more prepared for when those things do do go wrong. Again, we've touched on this throughout the episode, but I want to be more specific and have some actionable things for people who are either working for companies that have a, a voice that they can they can bring this up. And hopefully everybody at the company has a voice, but that's a topic for another podcast. But And maybe you're running a show. Maybe you're a crew chief or a, a project manager. You're working for a company. So I just want to talk about a few things that we can do. Let's first talk about just like being prepared. First off, I think just about every well first off radios okay everybody there should be radios in the field and and i don't always see radios being used especially when maybe it's a smaller crew maybe your your survey intervals a little closer and maybe there's just like radios in the truck but nobody pays attention to them because you don't actually need them to do your job that's fine 
but you should all just have radios, even if they're turned off. You should have radios and an extra set of batteries on every field crew. And one of the reasons for that, of course, is if you do happen to get separated for whatever reason, you are in radio contact. That's not dependent on cell service. It's not dependent on anything. It is dependent on having the batteries checked regularly and making sure they work. That's why you should have a second set of batteries with you. But... Batteries are cheap. Buy them at Costco. Buy them on Amazon. It doesn't matter. You you can buy thousands of batteries for, you know, pennies on the dollar when you get them at those at those levels as at the company level. And then not only should you have that, but also when you're caravanning, make sure that you have radio contact with the other vehicles and you should be able to see the other vehicles as well. Man, I don't know how many times and I'm just thinking about this one particular, (laughs) these couple, actually two Nevada projects that I was on where there were probably five or six or seven vehicles going in and out of the field every single day, big crews, right? And we, you always had when we, when we get off the small roads and we get back onto the highway, onto the interstate and we got another 30, 40 miles to go to the town that we're staying in. This is common in Nevada, by the way. And you've just got somebody that's just either got a lead foot or in, in vice versa, you've got somebody who drives five under the speed limit. And people need to know that if you're a driver, you need to stay in contact with that other vehicle. You should be caravanning. You should be right behind the vehicle that's in front of you. And the next vehicle should be behind you. And you should be driving as fast as the slowest vehicle is going to drive. I don't care if they're lagging behind, get a new driver next time. Okay. But don't just leave them in the dust because they could have a blowout. They could have something bad happen in their vehicle. They could be thrown off the road with that flat tire. You don't even know. And you're not going to see it because you're too far ahead. It's the same thing as those like field crew that just like can't stay in line because they're mountain goats and they feel like they need to prove themselves up over the hills. Stay in the line. Okay. That's just, uh, it, it just really irritates me. Yeah, go ahead. I'm equally irritated with you in that moment. I can't stand that stuff. It's like be a professional and focus <laughs> yeah. on others. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, one thing that everybody should have is those devices, the emergency devices, so that like radio oh, like or something. Yeah, right. A spot. Yeah. You know, we use, that's what we use. They should be in every truck. You should Mm -hmm. have them. And then when you're out of the truck, you should take them with you. But every single vehicle should have these spot monitors or whatever kind of an emergency device. So it's a small kind of a device that you push. And there's like, sometimes there's three different choices where it's an absolute like emergency. I've been bit by a snake. I have limited time. I need help type of thing all the way to, okay, we're, we're okay, but we are in a bit of distress, right? Like our car broke down or whatever. So I think everybody, we have that. Everybody should have that. Another thing is you should be calling in. You know, I love the reporting that you started off with the beginning. I think if you have somebody in your company or on your crew that has any military experience, you should put them in charge right away in charge <laughs> of I, I, serious of logistics <laughs> because they've been trained to do that. Even if they weren't in logistics in the military, they've been yeah. trained on how to go into the field and how <laughs> to be safe. That's number one, mustering, making sure that you have a muster location. That's another, you know, I'm surprised a good health and safety plan should have that, but Sometimes they don't. And people just are kind of winging it. You know, they don't have enough money. The company doesn't have enough money to have a a safety officer. So they don't have all this knowledge. But I would say if you have anybody with military experience, have them be in charge of making sure that, you know, you guys are safe out there. If you don't have if the the company hasn't given you those those tools to be safe. But I think 
calling in. We have everybody call in when they go into the field and call when they're leaving the field to one person that's in the office. And yeah. we do that all the time. And you know what? Let's just be honest. You got, unfortunately, people are sent out in the field by themselves. So calling on every hour is essential. You know, we got this idea that if we're in a, you know, in an area that has a lot of people in it, that everything's fine. No. And it's all, then the danger is only with the rules. Sometimes the more urban environments are more dangerous. And we can go into that another time because I know we want to focus on weather, but yeah, I think everything you can do to keep communication going. And it's not just about being able to reach out when you're in trouble. It's about, just like you said in the beginning, if somebody doesn't reach out, we know somebody's not somebody's in trouble. Yeah. So having right. regular check-ins is really important. I would just sort of, I, I wanted to disagree with one thing about the military thing, because mm-hmm. you can also just as easily get the <laughs> macho asshole who is okay, like, well, I was in the military and it's like, <laughs> good point. that's a very <laughs> good point. Dangerous. That's, that's, a, that's a good point. But I would say as far as starting in the beginning, you're not making them in charge of it, but starting in the be- beginning about setting up a, some kind of, uh, connect point or whatever. I mean, these things in the very beginning are important to set up. You can't set Mm -hmm. them up when you're in trouble. You got to set them up when you begin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, you know, also listening to other people on the crew, right? So, you know, someone may be just a field tech and they're just starting out, but if they did, you know, outward bound or something like that, or they were, you know, uh, Eagle scout, you might want to mm-hmm. listen to them. They don't have a master's degree and they're 10 years younger than you, but they definitely know what the heck they're talking about when they're outside compared to you who spent, you know, multiple years getting a grad degree sitting in an office somewhere. Right. So definitely listening to folks, listening to people also about their physical condition, right? Because just because you're out there in the sun every day doesn't mean that you're going to feel the same every day in the sun. And so if someone needs breaks or needs space or something like that, like, you know, that's definitely another aspect. And then, you know, we were talking about those personal locator beacons and stuff. There's a lot of really great ones out there that if the company will spring for a few hundred dollars a year to keep these personal locate, like a Zolio or something like that, that works with your phone that you can send texts and, you know, other stuff from out there. Those are totally awesome. But I've also seen them used against crews because someone is just like, somehow watching their dot on the screen and being like, well, how come they're stopped there for 40? Like, why, why isn't the, the Jeeps all moving? Like what's going on? Maybe there's something wrong or maybe they're just all somehow horsing around in the forest and not actually working. Right. So getting questions when you get back about, I saw that your personal locators weren't moving for two hours. Like, what were you doing? And you're shaking your head like, Hey, you're really sitting here at the office back in Tucson, like <laughs> staring at the computer yeah. screen to figure out what I'm doing. Where's your yeah. job? Get us some yeah. contracts, man. I thought you were leading yeah. this company instead of watching me as a dot moving on Google earth. You need to start getting more money for the company. So that can also be a reality yeah. when, when crews don't want to turn on the, Zolio because they know that people back at the home base are going to start scrutinizing their movements. Oh man. Preach on brother bill. Yeah. But listen, I've totally experienced that. That's literally one of two problems though, right? Either the crews really are screwing around or you need to work for somebody who's not so paranoid. Thank you. That's what I was going to say. That's your, that's your red flag. Go work somewhere else. I mean, and, and you know what? I know we've been saying people are desperate Uh, right now. There's so much work out there you can go work for someone else. Okay. If somebody's not treating you right. And here's the other thing is that, you know, you hear a lot of people, people are getting paid a lot of money. Some people hourly 
And sometimes you can't just look at the money. You have to look at a company that has a good reputation for treating as needed employees as well as they treat their full-time employees or to just treating their, their, their employees across the board well. Yeah, money's not everything. Right. Yeah. You, you know, I wanted to reach back real, f- real fast to something small that Chris said earlier about the radios, which I think is mm-hmm. super important, but also make sure that everyone knows how to use the radios yes. because yes. like some radios, like the two meter band ones, they'll have like squelch controls and stuff. And what happens is they never use them. And then an emergency comes and they're like, I don't, how do you yes. turn on this radio? You know, so you want to make sure people like know and remember, remember what channel it's on. Hey guys, we're all on channel two. You know, that that I've seen that multiple times, people not knowing how to use a radio that's fully charged and ready to go. And I'll take that one more step for one step further and say in the beginning, when you have a tailgate meeting, you teach them how to use it. Even if you think everybody knows they may have forgotten and people are afraid to ask, like, let's say you say, hey, does everybody know how to use a radio? Well, you have a new guy on the crew that's embarrassed to say they don't know how to use it. So just just assume nobody knows and teach them. It takes like three minutes. Yeah. Another benefit to the radios that I didn't mention yet was a lot of those handhelds and some GPSs actually, like I know the Rhino did that I used to have. I loved that Rhino, by the way, that thing was phenomenal. But anyway, a lot of those radios have a weather radio channel, which mm-hmm. is really handy and they work almost anywhere, right? It's crazy. I don't know where these signals are coming from, but they work literally almost anywhere. So if you think there's something coming in, you can see something on the horizon and, and it, it wasn't forecast for the day, check the weather radio and know how to do that and, and make sure you do that. You know, a couple of other apps too, while I'm talking about those, because you may have cell service and if you do, great. If you don't, a- another quick note back to the mapping thing, like Heather, you mentioned having Having something that's not just like a phone-based application for mapping, which is smart. You need to have some kind of GPS, whether it's in a vehicle or mm-hmm. handheld or something like that. That being said, there are apps in case you're in case you're out in the field or maybe something happens to the vehicle or something like that. Like Here Maps, H-E-R-E. I've used that in other countries and stuff before because you can download the entire database. You can download either yeah. a state or areas or a whole country. Like I downloaded Scotland when we were over there because I didn't have cell mm-hmm. service <laughs> and I didn't have data. So look for an app where you can actually download the resources to your device and you don't need to use anything else because your GPS will still work if you don't have cell service. It will still show you where you're at on yeah. the map. It's not, it's not Co- based on the cell towers. You can, yeah, collector yeah, you can download. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, just find something you can use because not everybody can use collector either because you might not have... Sure access to it. But other apps too, if you do have cell service, make sure somebody on your team, it's not that expensive. It's like a few dollars a year, I think, if you upgrade the Weather Channel app to show lightning strikes near you. And it will literally push notification onto your phone and your watch or whatever you have, if you have that kind of thing, and tell you, hey, lightning has been detected within 10 miles of your area, right? It will literally tell you that. That lightning detection is kind of a little special add-on, one of their stupid premium things. But still, it's totally worth it if somebody has that. And maybe... It's not even somebody on your crew. Maybe it's somebody who's, you know, just in contact with the crew and can get a message out saying, hey, lightning is nearby, heads up or get out, you know, depending on what the situation is. So um, because if the if the lightning is between you and where you need to go, you need to consider leaving now. If it's advancing on your position and you still have an exit, then maybe you've got some time and it could go another direction or whatever. But you've got to think about those things. And also there's apps out there that will notify you of earthquakes that have been nearby. That might not be a huge concern for some people, but out in California, it's a pretty big concern, right? Because earthquakes can do, you know, 
all kinds of lasting damage. It could have destroyed infrastructure between you and your exit. It could cause a tsunami if you're working on the coast. It could cause all kinds of things. It could cause a wildfire because the earthquake knocked over power lines and sparked off a fire. So who knows what could happen? You might be like, well, I didn't feel the earthquake, so it's not affecting me, but it could absolutely affect you because it could affect resources between you and your exit. So, Right. I And I'll just say real quick that it's uh, the responsibility, obviously the company should be safe, but you have a personal responsibility to do your homework. And so when you're moving around the area, just for somebody who grew up in the Midwest and then moved to California, it, I had no idea you could have, to me, flash floods were like, you'd have to have a ton of water coming down to get a flash flood. And in California, you could have a minimal amount of water if you're in a mountainous and canyon region where all the water's going down into one area and you can have a flash flood and it's not even that much water, not much rain that has come. So just making sure that if you're going into a new geography, that you do your homework and you understand what the different situations are. Yeah. You know, and I, I just wanted to add, just in order to make people feel comfortable out there for other emergencies to carry an EpiPen if you if you have one. Mm. And also yeah. there's a book that I love called Where There Is No Doctor. And so if something really <laughs> bad happens and you're in the middle of nowhere. It's really for village healthcare in the third That's world. Awesome. But That's that cool. book you can you can look up what to do if somebody gets shot. It has everything cool. in it. So nice. I love where there is no doctor. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well I will leave the end of this episode with just one thing that has, I've really been thinking about again with my time as the emergency services officer, my civil air patrol squadron this last couple of years. And as I've got, I don't do a ton of field projects with my company right now, but we do have another big one coming up, 3,800 acre survey starting in mid summertime, give or take. And it's in really rugged area. It's in rough terrain. We have mine radios where we're in contact with the mine, but almost nothing else works most of the time. And I'm putting together, actually, it's a wild note form, but you could put this together anyway, using any form, basically a safety plan of the day. It's going to have the weather Mm -hmm. forecast for the day, the hazards for the area that we're going to be in, meeting points for end of the day, because there are multiple crews. We need to know where to meet up at the end of the day. Check-in times, check-in times throughout the day, what radio channel we're using for that, both on the mine radio and on the company radio and then anything else we need to know from a safety standpoint, you know, that's going to be just like boilerplate that's on there. You know, what are the, where's the hospital, you know, all the directions and stuff like that, that should be in your safety plan anyway, but have that on the safety plan of the day. And then I'm going to, you know, basically export that and drop it in the documents. And then the nice thing about doing it in a resource that everybody has access to, you don't have to print it out necessarily. It might be nice to have a copy in the vehicle if you don't have a way to store it digitally, but I'm going to put it in the documents for the project. And that way, every single crew will have access to it offline and they'll be able to read this document and know everything for that day, what's going on. Now, if you're doing this daily, make sure you title them appropriately so they sort by day <laughs> so right. they have the right date format on there. But I, I would suggest everybody do something like that. And maybe not every day. Maybe you don't have to do it every day. Maybe you can do it every couple of days. But once you get the first one done, it's really just going to be pulling weather and current hazards. Everything else is really going to stay the same. But they'll have that information and they'll know what's happening for the day. So with that, I think we'll end this. Thanks for the question. If you got more questions, Chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com or hit us up on any of the socials and places where we drop these episodes. We really appreciate the question. We've had some good activity over in our members channel as well. I was hoping to get to some of those comments about our last episode, but we didn't get a chance and I'm sure we'll get to them eventually. So again, keep the comments coming. Keep listening. For members, head over to arcpodnet.com forward slash members 
and you can find your bonus content. We're adding the bonus content now for existing episodes to that episode's ad-free downloads page. So go check that out. There's no need to separate it and put it in bonus content. It's just part of the ad-free download page that you have access to as members. If you're not a member, go to arcpodnet.com forward slash members to see how you can become a member and get early access to shows and bonus segments like the one that we're going to record and have after the show. That's it for another episode of the CRM Archaeology Podcast. Links to some of the items mentioned on the show are in the show notes for this podcast, which can be found at www.arcpodnet.com slash podcast. Please comment and share anywhere you see the show. If you'd like us to answer a question on a future episode, email us. Use the contact form on the website or just email chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Support the show and the network at arcpodnet.com slash members. Get some swag and extra content while you're there. Send us show suggestions and interview suggestions. We want this to be a resource for field technicians everywhere, and we want to know what you want to know about. Thanks to everyone for joining me this week. Thanks also to the listeners for tuning in, and we'll see you in the field. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. Next time, my friends. Wow, you guys are all so cordial about it. No, Doug. No, Doug. (laughs) (laughs) This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks for listening. Please consider joining our growing core of members over at arcpodnet.com slash members. If you liked what you heard, consider leaving a review wherever you're listening to this. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.